For sure. I love the analogy of comparing it to the foundation of a house. Everybody wants to, you know, paint the walls, decorate, have nice furniture, but you don't want to do that on a house of cards. So you want to make sure you have the strong foundational layer, which is really the core aspects of data warehousing in general and all the transformations that go on to get that raw data to the point that it's consumable with proper documentation and lineage with appropriate workflows and the ability to uh, you know, perform CICD in the right way and deploy iteratively. So from that point, of course, other things can follow, but it takes some time to get there. And uh, I feel like it's becoming, it, it was a less sexy thing. It's becoming a lot more sexy now to focus on the foundation of data, which is great. I think for a while people were distracted by a lot of the business intelligence tools or things that could just paint a picture without really thinking about the where that data was coming from, how it actually got prepared. And so the market evolves and starts to pay attention to certain things like this, which is, which is nice to see. So hopefully ML ops or, or AI can help drive that even further as people continue to go through these projects and don't hopefully don't fall on their face trying to perform something when it's premature from data sets that are accurate. It's building trust, isn't it? So the more we can do to build trust in what we're doing and and create repeatability, the more people are going to buy into it, support it, give you funding for it. And they're going to be getting the, I keep going back to value. Um, They're getting that value quicker, um, which is, what it's all about. We, we, we all love playing with technology, but it's for a reason. We're, we're, we're all running businesses. Uh, and if you work for another company, that company needs to make money as well. So the, the, um, the, the whole purpose is, is providing that value. And how we can, we can discuss what the term value actually means, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, making, making, making the, the business progress uh, in a very simple way. Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Coalesce, a monthly podcast about all things data and the trends and technology transforming our industry. I'm Armand Petrosian, CEO of Coalesce, and here with me is my co-founder and CTO, Satish Jayanti. Together, we'll be your host for the next hour. Good morning, everybody. Usually it takes a little bit of time for people to trickle in. LinkedIn's usually delayed just a little bit, so I'll, I'll give it a few seconds before we jump into the show today that I'm super excited for. Got a couple amazing guests, Chris Tab, Colin Graves. You guys want to, gentlemen, want to introduce yourselves real quick? Uh, yeah, Chris Tab, um, uh, CCO of uh, Lead Data. Um, been, been around the data world longer than I like to admit and uh, defender of the mean data streets. <laughs> you do it well. Uh, Colin Graves, Founder of North Labs, uh, been in the, the cloud data space for the past 17 years, and uh, one of one of Chris's guardians of the of the data streets for sure. That's right, the mean data streets. Something that Chris is always posting about that I love. <laughs> it's crazy. The data streets have gone mean, haven't they, Chris? They have. They have. There's, there's, there's a, in fact, some of the things of mean in data ops world. So we can talk about some of those five areas of meanness there. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think the yeah, there's a, there's an opportunity to simplify things and make them less mean, and I think that's that's my my mission. Really. Cool, cool. Uh, just as a quick question to the audience, I always love seeing where everybody's calling in from. So if you don't mind just posting where you're at right now, it's always nice to see the global audience that we bring to the coffees with Coalesce. 
Uh, while we're waiting, I'll introduce myself, Armand Petrosian, the CEO at Coalesce. I've got my beloved co-founder here, Mr. Satish. I'll let you give your own introduction. Yeah, um, I'm uh, Satish Jan, the co-founder and CTO of Coalesce, partnering time with uh, Armand. <laughs> That's right. Um, cool. So shall we jump right into it? It looks like, see, the comments are coming through now. We got London, Denver. Oh, you could probably go meet up with them, Chris. Uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis, a lot of Midwest in the house. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, Tunisia. I haven't heard that one in a minute. Hey, Bernard, out in New York. Uh, we got Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Montreal, great city. Had some great times in Montreal. Been there with Satish. New Orleans, Dallas, Tampa, the list keeps going. Anyways, let's uh, let's jump into it and let's give everybody what they came here for. Um, I'm super excited to have both you gentlemen on as guests. I think that one of the topics that continues to come up all the time in more modern analytics operations is this concept of data ops. So you're seeing even established analysts like Gartner start to talk about it more and more. There's been massive growth in the DevOps category for software engineering. And we're now starting to see that get appropriated over to data into what is now being classified as data ops. I've got a few questions to kick things off. But I think the first one, just for everybody here, would be great to hear your definition of what actually is data ops in the first place. So I will let you answer first, Colin, and then we can let Chris take it. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, nobody on this call knows, but I do come from a background in, in software engineering and worked as an API engineer in the, in the health IT space for quite a while. Got my start with AWS and, and obviously um, was really deeply engraved in, in the, the software development lifecycle uh, for a long time. And to me, data ops is really this notion of taking the processes and practices uh, from agile methodologies to improve the, the quality of execution, the speed of execution and the level of collaboration that occurs within data teams, really taking a lot of the inspiration from what the software engineering world sort of uh, laid the path for. So, um, and doing that obviously is meant to help, you know, break down data silos within an organization, but ultimately, uh, create a continuous uh, iterative flow that can be measured against and improved upon uh, as opposed to more of a, say, waterfall approach, which is probably a term most people on this call know. Yep. And Chris, I love that. I love that definition. What about you, Chris? What would you like to add? I think, um, yeah, I just touched on what, yeah, where DataGops was born. It was born from that DevOps and, and the development world. It had the technology, and, and because they wanted coded things, it, it worked with that with that um, with that approach. And the data world had to catch up, and I think now the technology has allowed um, the ability to bring those producers and consumers of that data together, and uh, create that um, that data op variation of of uh, what data op, what DevOps provided, which is bringing the development and operation teams together, um, mm -hmm. which shifting that across. I mean, when I when I first the products out there in the data world didn't really support that data ops approach originally. They, they had repositories where you're putting your, 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 your code into it, which was proprietary. You couldn't do that ver verifying the different um, the versions and, and it'd be visually be able to check. So I think the technology now has moved on to, to allow 
uh, allow that that way of working in the, in the data world. And I think this is what we're trying to do now is is to bring that um, the, the ways of working aspect of it of, of educating the teams that you should be you should be adopting this as your first port of call. This is a de facto de facto approach for for uh, for building your pipelines now. It, yeah, it seems seems to me like one of the biggest one of the most attractive aspects about data ops is being able to continuous continuously release and move through the evolvement and evolution of your analytics pipelines and workflows in a way that's seamless. You're able to separate the work, merge it together, take it, take an approach that's constantly evolving since the data is always dynamic. You're always figuring out different questions and different answers that lead to different questions. And so it, it yeah. leans into that a lot more so than the, like a waterfall approach, like you described earlier, Colin, where you're just like trying to go step after step after step. And then by the time you're four steps in, you realize you have to go back to step one and start back over and can continue. And so it makes total sense. I, I, you know, right before this, we were talking about the difference between DevOps and data ops. How would you encapsulate that in an in a easy way to understand for the audience here? Since, since they are different things at the end of the day, I think if you were to take everything from a DevOps approach and try to appropriate to data ops, it probably wouldn't be the best idea. So curious to hear what differences you see between the two. The, the, the key things in the data part is, is that the, the, the DevOps part is less about the data, it's more about the functionality of the code for it to actually all hang together. But the data shops, well, the code doesn't work unless the data actually tells a story if, you, if you're wanting it to. So um, there's a much more focus, but much bigger focus on data shops of making sure we got, we touched a bit of test data, appropriate environments for it as well. Um, because you, you can have a pipeline that moves "Hello World" from one place to another, you haven't really you haven't really tested it unless you actually put it through with some proper data. Whereas applications, you could get away with that mocking and and uh, simulating activities from an application perspective, but you never had to have that volume of data that was representative because uh, you weren't the applications create the data, whereas we're relying on that data to be to be provided uh, to us. Well, it's a matter. Of, it's also a matter of of. You know, when, when we talk about quality of execution too, right? Like DevOps, DevOps blends together soft, like the engineering side of the house, the development side of the house and operations, this notion of like, what do we do with what we develop? Um, data ops really is that blending of data producers and consumers within an organization, whether those consumers are internal or external and, right. and removing those, those silos. Cause think, I mean, but back to what Chris was talking about, think of how long in the data space we've been comfortable with pushing changes directly to production, right? We've been never, okay. Never done that, never. Yeah, no one <laughs> and, and, Yeah, I mean, let's, let's call it the elephant in the room. Like that was a, yes. still is a really common practice within organizations. If you did that in the world of software, you would be right. without a job, but yeah, it's yeah. still seen as like, okay, yeah, it's a little taboo, but you know we kind of don't have a better option in the data space, and I think that the the best thing that can come out of data ops is predictability, repeatability, and that sort of continuous uh, evolution that can occur within these systems to remove that. Like anytime there's there's a, a finger on a mouse in production, I start mm -hmm. sweating. So if we can take <laughs> that of the equation, we're in a much better position as an industry. That, that is always crazy to me that. 
that there's no concept of like dev QA prod in so many different companies, usually smaller companies or less experienced developers are just <laughs> pushing stuff to prod all the time. Uh, yeah. uh, the, I think the, this, this thing is two things that have changed. So when I started, you know, the data warehouse was too expensive in order to have a DR version of it. Uh, so you, you didn't have, or you were less likely to have multiple variants because it was too costly. Mm. And the other thing, it was always a downstream process. And the birth of like reverse detailing, I hate the term, but um, having that feedback loop that actually takes you back into the operational decisioning means that now your data is mission critical you know it's part of your operational business now and you know we've, we've moved now from it being um you know the bi world of okay let's report on what's happened now it's actually reporting or well making decisions of what you want to happen or, or you know, uh, prescriptive analysis and as soon as you've got that link back into your your, your operational uh, operational business or your business services you know you've got to start having these data ops practices that that ensures that what you're delivering is quality because you, you you could be you could be put pumping something back for that reverse ETL into your CRM, and that could have a catastrophic effect on brand awareness, on uh, on, on, on brand, yeah, brand reputation, mm-hmm. or even even monetary monetary thing. You could put a campaign out to everyone that you give them all a discount, and they weren't meant to. So, you know, there's um, there's a lot of risk now, which which wasn't quite there a few well, many but before the the, the the modern the more modern era, and I think some of the people are still. Using the, they've come from uh, those environments and they've just carried on in the same way, um, and that, that's one of the pitfalls I think, which we're going to cover in a bit. Yeah, we'll definitely cut into this. By the way, if the audience has any questions about data ops in general or anything for Colin or Chris or Satish or I, feel free to leave a comment. But I know Satish, it seems like you uh, you got something to add here on what Chris and Colin were talking about. Love to hear it. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of. You know, I, I can't agree more. First thing, what you touched upon, you know, the quality, the cost, you know, the way I see it, and, and you know, I know some people may be new to this, and that's probably why they are here. Yeah. But let's let's say we don't have DevOps or data ops. Then you know, what what are the problems that we were facing? Like, why did we even start this process in the first place? Mm-hmm. So if you look at it, software development was very very expensive. If you know to to go from the requirement to build that, it's it was very expensive. Now, how do you reduce the cost? How do you shrink that cycle? Uh, you know, you got to have, for example, you got to have version control. If you don't have version control, obviously, you know, you don't know which version you're deploying. You need to have testing, so you need to have test cases that run, and then there are certain best practices and all of that that come later. But just to understand the concept. There's two main drivers. One is the cost, in my opinion, cost of development. Uh, and, and the second thing is, of course, quality. And that applies to whether it's you're building an application or you're building uh, a data application where your focus is all on data. At the end of the day, that's the goal, right? The value that you bring to the business um, as efficiently as you can. You know, that, that's the main driver. I, I just on that, that's something that resonates with this. I, I use the term delivery friction. So frictional use is, is a, a way to describe the time, effort, and complexity to achieve a particular task. And that that speed to value part, and this, this is, you know, speed is of the essence now, getting released out quicker, getting better better uh, throughput of your team, getting that business value quicker. Um, yeah, yeah have, having, having that um, having that approach um, is, is a... 
Yeah, it's going it's to accelerate the, um, the, the the ultimate business value and and uh, the, the cost. So the more you can optimize and reduce friction and take away, and I think the other thing is you need to look at where you do that friction because there's no point uh, automating doing a turnkey solution on your infrastructure that only gets set up maybe once or two months or maybe three months or, but maybe on your data consumption code where you've got. Um, a metadata model that's that's being used by your reporting tools. Yeah, there's more there's more business logic going into it. It's it's changing regularly. You want to make sure that that is turnkey as possible with the least amount of friction, because that's happening <coughs> more, more frequent. So focus the effort on on where where you get the most value. Um, there's there's no no point having every single piece automated from day one. It's working out which bits are your pain point. Um, that makes sense. There's a question here around what is the difference between data ops and data engineer or data engineering? I feel like they go hand in hand. I don't know about you guys, but basically a data engineer is somebody who should adhere to a data ops framework versus it being something that's segmented out. We agree yeah, with that. For sure. It's, it's, you know, just like in the software engineering world, uh, first of all, shout out to, uh, to Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Um, yeah. <laughs> I see Jay Berg, I see Cape Town, Western Cape, Western Atlanta. People all over the world came to listen to you, Colin. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah that's it. Um, <laughs> no, but I think, you know, the, the primary distinction, right, let's let's use the, the concept of data pipelines, right? How do we get data out of our source systems and into a unified source of truth within an environment, whereas your your data engineers are going to be the tacticians in that role and usually the ones setting up those pipelines and ensuring the integrity of those pipelines, right? Are we getting the right data out, the right table with the right refresh, everything like that? Data ops folks are going to focus on the operational components of that system, right? How frequently are we refreshing? How frequently do we have error cycles? And, and really taking one step above and, and being able to analyze all of their pipeline flows in aggregate to, to make sure that that, um, that backend product, right, within, within the data ecosystem is, is working as intended. So really it's, in, in, my, in my perspective, it's boots on the ground, turning wrenches from an engineering standpoint, and the data ops folks are really gonna, are gonna look at numbers and statistics and you know, latency rates and things like that to ensure that things are well-tuned and you know, delivering according to expectations. Yep. Yeah, I, I see it as like a spectrum from one end to the other. So I think data engineer has fragmented itself as well. So you've got your analytics engineers, you've got your, your data engineers that are more focused on the ingest, and you've got your data engineers that are more focused on the data modeling. And then there's a unicorn that does it all. <laughs> and they're, they're becoming you know, rare, rarer and rarer. So yeah, as you said, Colin, you know, that first one, it's that foundational pieces that, that, that the data ops person that puts in the, um, the the, the, pot, the plumbing first of all, is, and then after that, you know, your, your data engineer first of all is one turning on the tap, put, putting the stuff in, and then the, the, your analytics engineer is making sure that, that is turned into it turned into what the consumer needs in, in a in a way that uh, <coughs> um, that meets their requirements. We got we got another question about ML ops and data ops as well. Yeah, what is what's the difference between ML ops and data ops? Who wants to take right. that? Yeah, I think that's, you know, when you talk about it's, I think they're, they're cousins of one another, right? Mm -hmm. But I think you, when you stop, talk about the process of beginning to deploy machine learning models, there comes, uh, you know, a, a sort of different line in the sand around the, um, how you simplify 
that management and deployment of those models. Frequently, you're running quite a few models that are in sort of testing phases and you're tweaking them individually, um, right? Testing different algorithms against standards. So mm-hmm. in my mind, that's almost like, uh, it, it's like French and, and Spanish, right? Like they're, you know, sentences are, are, are similarly constructed, but yeah. it's, a, it's a slightly different language. And, and to Chris's point, right, we have so many needs from a domain expertise perspective already. And I can't imagine yeah. what it's going to look like five years from now where you, you sort of do have to segment those because there just aren't people out there who are pros in engineering, data ops, ML ops, yeah. AI ops, 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 right? So um, that's where I think a, a, a clean distinction because it typically is treated as a separate product. Yep. Yeah. And I don't, you can't go MLOps until you've got data ops in place. Otherwise, you're, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, don't walk. Yeah. Don't try and run before you can walk. And, and yeah. as you said, Colin, you know, so I think the, the, the thing that the, the biggest additional that comes in at MLOps is the testing of the regression analysis of, of what, what that algorithm's doing and making sure that, you know, it's going to get a better Gini score, a better result based on what you've done. You don't want to, you don't want to put, you don't want to release something that's going to be worse than what's there already. Whereas that, yeah, the, the data quality checks are a little easier. You know, you're, you're, you're verifying completeness and, and consistency. The, the MLOps, it, it's, it's actually the algorithm you're making sure it, it's, it's improved uh, from what was there before. And then if it doesn't, don't release it. So that's part of your test framework of ensuring that your route to live has those checkpoints in there to make sure you don't put any rubbish into production. Yeah, we were just at the, uh, both Satish and I were just at the Gartner conference for uh, representing Coalesce. And it's so interesting to see how many booths and vendors had something around ML ops or AI, which is completely negligent to the underlying most important aspect, which is the foundation of the data that those technologies pull from. <laughs> and so we see questions around, you know, differences between ML ops, data ops, or how do we get to ML ops and do it successfully? The first step is to actually get a grasp on what you're doing with the underlying data. And so I feel like it's a sequ- in a sequential order, ML ops will become more popular as people can gather themselves and figure out how to approach data warehousing, data projects, incorporating data ops in the right way that will actually allow people to get to AI and ML use cases. But from my perspective, I, I, I don't know about you guys, I think we still got a little ways to go before people are super happy with data projects, which is why we're here at the end of the day to talk about something different. Yeah, we've, we've got this analogy that I use often, which is everyone wants to build a house mm-hmm. and they're excited about the walls they can put up. And this is going to be the primary bedroom. This is going to be the game room. But no one's spending enough time actually pouring the concrete slab and laying the joists, <laughs> right? Like we all talk about what, yeah. and, and, and frankly, right, I, I do think it's a product of Right. If you go onto my LinkedIn feed right now, you'd think that we're all using quantum machine learning at lexically, right? And it's <laughs> whole notion of like you need to be further ahead than you are. And so people do try to short circuit that conversation. And what they do is they build walls of that room and that might work in a singular fashion. But as soon as you try and build on top of that or add a roof, things fall down pretty quickly. And to me, that's that's where we get a lot of people who reach out to us and go, we want to become machine learning oriented. We have this great idea for how, you know, ML ops or, you know, algorithms can, can help us. 
And the first question that that we usually ask is, all right, do you do you trust your data today from a descriptive perspective? Does it do everything you want it to do from a foundational perspective? Well, no. Okay, define no. Well, it's not even close. Okay, let's focus on that because as soon as you add that machine learning speed into there, garbage in, garbage out becomes yeah, compounded sure. and magnified, right? So that's that's really uh, that that foundational integrity that I anybody who knows me has heard me say that at least twenty times since they've known yep. me. Uh, foundational integrity is everything, and it's unfortunately it's the most boring piece of data and analytics right these days, but it's, I think it's the singular most important facet of, of successfully developing a data program. For sure. I love the analogy of comparing it to the foundation of a house. Everybody wants to, you know, paint the walls, decorate, have nice furniture, but you don't want to do that on a house of cards. So okay. you want to make sure you have the strong foundational layer, which is really the core aspects of data warehousing in general and all the transformations that go on to get that raw data to the point that it's consumable with proper documentation and lineage with appropriate workflows and the ability to uh, you know, perform CICD in the right way and deploy iteratively. So from that point, of course, other things can follow, but it takes some time to get there. And uh, I feel like it's becoming, it, it was a less sexy thing. It's becoming a lot more sexy now to focus on the foundation of data which is great. I think for a while people were distracted by a lot of the business intelligence tools or things that could just paint a picture without really thinking about the, where that data was coming from, how it actually got prepared. And so the market evolves and starts to pay attention to certain things like this, which is, which is nice to see. So hopefully ML ops or, or AI can help drive that even further as people continue to go through these projects and don't hopefully don't fall on their face trying to, perform something when it's premature from data sets that are accurate. It's building trust, isn't it? So the more we can do to build trust in what we're doing and create repeatability, the more people are going to buy into it, support it, give you funding for it. And they're going to be getting the, I keep going back to value. Um, you know, they're getting that value quicker, um, which is what it's all about. We all love playing with technology, but it's for a reason. We're, we're all running businesses uh, and if you work for another company, that company needs to make money as well. So the, the, um, the, the whole purpose is, is providing that value and how we can, we can discuss what the term value actually means, but, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, making, making, making the, the business progress uh, in a very simple way. Satish, were you going to add something there? I think Chris mentioned it, you know, exactly what I was going to say as well, the, the trust, right? I mean, what's yeah. happening, you know, people are taking shortcuts and, you know, they skip the foundation, they go straight into some kind of analytics, whether it's machine learning or something, and then they share that with the business and the business goes, oh, wow, this is exciting. And they start using it. And this is like, this is crap. You know, how did you get this? <laughs> and I don't trust it. And then now you have to start over all over yeah. uh, you're back to square one so uh, that's what's happening and that's that's why people are now you know coming back to the focusing on the foundation yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy to see the the loss of trust if the consumers you know aren't they, they don't agree with what's being produced or there's some issues that they know of that are anecdotal or, or personal to them and then you start to have a bit of tension between the producers and the consumers and you really do have to start over from square one but almost like square negative one because you're 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 working back to just build that 
interpersonal relationship between right. consumers. So I feel like it's getting the business needs to be working with you or uh, much yeah. closer with you for that fact day trust because I mean there's 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 the BAU activities and there's your innovation activities and without without the business you know we're just technologists you know and we'll, we'll build something nice and shiny but is it going to actually add that value we we don't know that we may think we do but the people in the business live it and uh, yeah. being able to articulate that and then feed that back through so uh, your day drops uh, part of your, your different uh, channels of your day drops it, it, it coming through and it's one release into production it's not someone doing some tactical stuff and they'll end up just going and building it on their own somewhere else and it, it, it never comes back into that single place and going back to that trust if someone looks at a figure the ceo looks at a figure and say what that's how many customers i got but this 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 report over here tells me i've got a thousand more customers why you know they've classified yeah. customers in a different way one's sites one's not and that to get that trust back um is is much harder um so once it's gone it takes a lot longer to get back yeah so for the audience make sure if you have an answer for a question you know exactly how you got that answer basically yeah right you want to be able to quickly produce how you got to that answer while you're working with the consumers in real time. So that way, if there is a discrepancy, at least you know why that discrepancy exists. I think that's like certain reason why people love Calm Lineage, for example, to be able to produce the and trace back how you get to certain results and questions. I think uh, it's also great, Colin, Chris, you both run your own consulting organizations between Leading Edge IT and between North Labs, very different approaches. Uh, you know, I think with the data concierge approach, Colin, you can kind of be that uh, resource for a business to have their data operations be run through North Labs exclusively and build that foundation in a way that will then unlock the future of other avenues that a business would wanna perform different data operations or ML operations. Whereas Chris, it's more of a conventional consulting arrangement where you guys go in and bring your expertise uh, in a different way, but uh, like on the client with their data. Um, so I'm super curious to hear, you know, the main reason everybody came to this show is around the pitfalls of data ops, but how would you, how would you describe, you know, one of the main items that you see being a bottleneck or an issue in data ops when it comes to some of the clients that you both work with? What's the first one that comes to mind? <laughs> I, the, the, the first, I mean, we touched on it earlier, it's, it's the environment one. The environment and um, I, I call it environment drift as well. So it, there's, there's no point having, having a, a, a release process that you don't go, it doesn't go through dev, test, prod. Um, if you're in test, it's not representative data. So we talked about earlier, just going and releasing things into production. There's no point you having a scenario where the first time you know something's going to work is by the time it gets into production. You need to have that reassurance, have that that test harness, and then mm -hmm. only after that it, it, it gets through. So um, I think that's 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 they're, they're probably all quite quite weighty, but that that's the one that always uh, always jumps out to me um, mm -hmm. as the first one. I've got other favourites as well, but I'm, I'm going to let Colin have one. What about you, Colin? Yeah, no, the, I, I think the main one, and again, right, we were talking earlier, we could, we could give a 12 hour talk. For sure. <laughs> but to me, I'm going to take it even one step more, more elementary, right? I, where, where Chris's background and strength comes in is definitely 
on the, the you know, engineering process build out and, and things like that. My background has always been in executive alignment first, right? How do you get buy-in from your data and analytics leadership to convince them that this is a good route to, to travel down? Because let's be frank here, typically data and analytics modernization efforts in businesses today are done without buy-in from the executive team. They're done sort of off in a corner, Hey, Armand, look what we built. Armand says, that's awesome. I want more of that. Go build it. But there's no direction in terms of what does success look like and, and everything like that. So for me, it's it's the solving of incomplete or non-existent what we call key business questions or KBQs, mm -hmm. right? We can talk about data ops until we're blue in the face. But if we're building our data ops processes that aren't in alignment with key business questions that yeah. mix business impact that we can measure. Hey, we know that if we can become 12 more 12% 12 more efficient at you know scrap reduction within our manufacturing, you know, uh, right. methodologies, right? We can add a million dollars a year to the bottom line. Great. But it's not just impact, it's also activation. And what I mean by that is once we get insights from the data environment, can we do anything about it? And that's where most organizations fall flat is when you're building it without executive alignment, the idea is let's solve the most grandiose problem possible that might have really cool future impact. But if we can't activate on those insights today and actually take action on what we're seeing, there is no positive ROI that comes with that. And what you have instead is a very expensive R&D experiment because there isn't measurable business value tied to it. So for me, you would be shocked how many conversations I have where, you know, like we, we want to have, you know, modernized data and analytics. Why? What's the first question we're trying to solve? Well, we just want to get all of our data in there and then we'll figure it out. That is a from where you ought to be. It should be agile, iterative, so you can get to this position of quality, reliability, and proper governance. Because to me, that's what those are the key. Somebody asked in the questions, what are the key sort of platform features or requirements of successful data ops? It's those yeah. three. It's quality of insights, it's reliability of execution, and it's governance around the entire process. I love listening to you talk, Colin, especially because it's always around the core issue associated with the business and how you apply data to solve that versus the other way around. A lot of times you see data teams that are, they, they don't know what or why they're doing what they're doing. It's more so just them operating in a silo and hoping that the data they produce is going to be consumed in a way that's insightful for the stakeholders. But it, it's it's so much better, so much easier if you start from what are we actually trying to accomplish here with our data before we go into the project. And that way, I mean, they say, you know, the, the failure rate of data warehouse projects is always super high. I think it's, it's largely because there isn't clear communication between what we're trying to accomplish. So... It's, it's that business, yeah, business versus IT, and uh, I, I always always go back to that. It's a data. You just need a data community that both of those teams, that both of those departments are part of, and as soon as they start all working together, um, you know, it, it becomes much easier. And I, I think to to your point there, Colin, I was um, I did the concept of like the KPIs. The KPIs I talked about is 
everything, every KPI you have in your company needs to be assessed with why it's being used. Uh, is it linked to your business strategy? Uh, yeah, what's the quality of it? Uh, if if it's if it's not linked to your business strategy, why are you measuring it? Um, if, yeah. if, 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 it, if no one's actually using it, there's no point having it anyway, because it's, it's obviously maybe a business strategy has not got the right KPIs. So yeah, I, I love that approach. Everything we should, should do, it should be linked to your, your company's business strategy. And if it's not, your business strategy is wrong. And you've got yeah. um, pockets of people in, in, your, in your organization that, that are not, not, um, not, not lined up. You got it. To me, to go back to the house analogy, because my any of my... <laughs> members who are on this call know that I beat analogies to death. But to me, you know, we talked about building building walls or building rooms without foundation. But what's the most important aspect of when you decide to build a house? Like what's what's the first thing you consider? It's location, right? Location, location, location. And to me, that's the equivalent of a key business question, mm-hmm. right? Where are we going to point, where are we going to build this oriented toward initially, right? To, to produce the most value with that foundation we're going to lay and those walls we're going to build and everything like that because i could build a really nice house on a tiny island with no infrastructure and and killer bees and and it could be the nicest house ever and no one would want to visit that house right Right. or i could build it in some you know beautiful suburban community and everybody goes oh what a great house you have that to me is the equivalent of are we aligned from a key business question perspective i love that what uh? What other pitfalls you guys see? Uh, common pitfalls, certain things that hold a team back from being able to be successful with data ops or just data in general. I think it's that that having a a team that can have autonomy to to achieve what they want as a as a unit. It, as soon as soon as you don't have the right skills in that team, and you've got to then go and re- request something from someone else on the team, or wait for their wait for them to be available to do it. You're, you're not agile, you know. You, you, you've added you've added um, dependencies into it. You've nearly gone waterfall because you're waiting for, for and whenever you're doing planning, you never plan for those dependencies. So, um, yeah, having having a team that has all the right skills and the right privileges to do to do what they need to do um, right. is, is is essential. Yeah. Basically, having the autonomy to perform their jobs, you feel like that's a, a gap in certain organizations where. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll have someone that looks after your S3 buckets has got to do the privileges on that and then you know have to go for a form to go fill it in. You've got right. some, someone, someone that, that knows Kubernetes that, that needs it to do a deployment one piece. And yeah, as soon, as soon as you start having having that sort of like dependencies across different people that aren't in your own team that you can plan accordingly, right. you're, you've, 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 you've created lots of uncertainty and, the, and, risk, and added risk to the, the ability for you to do that. Yeah, it's kind of like the antithesis of the whole process, right? Like forces you down again, like what Colin was describing of a waterfall approach. If you've got to wait for so many different steps to happen in that sequence before you can actually do your job. Colin, were you going to add something? I was, yeah, with with my own pitfall. But I think it, they're so closely related that it doesn't make yeah. sense to introduce <laughs> the topic. My next one was con- – and this is – there again – I'm, I come from a software engineering background. So any of you engineers right. out there, I, I don't mean to offend you, but the, the <laughs> of, of constantly chasing features and functionality, right? Cause let's, let's be yeah. frank. Like, Coalesce is one of the best, the best tools on the market for data ops. And that's me saying that I have no, right. 
Armand is not paying me to say that, right? <laughs> but there is, there is this notion of if, if any of you all have seen the data and analytics sort of landscape that I think that I think it's the folks that folks at first mark put out every year. Yep. Yep. Matt Turk. Mm-hmm. Matt Turk. That ecosystem is expanding faster than our own universe. And so there's this notion of uh, as engineers, we love to build. We love to build. Right. I was the kid who took apart my bike as a kid and and couldn't figure out a way to get it back together. So I'd have to get my real engineer dad to come help me out. (laughs) But but when when you have so many um, uh, tools being introduced into an ecosystem, it's really easy to get distracted by features as opposed to actual business needs. As in, what do we need right now to solve our key business questions? Because yep. it's really, really simple these days to say, I swipe my credit card, I get a Snowflake instance. I swipe my credit card, I could begin using any of these 200 tools within AWS. That's fantastic, but it is a double-edged sword, I think. Totally. Uh, and I think for a lot of the uh, inefficiencies that lead to the demise of, of data ops programs come in is people think, well, now I just need this, and now I just need this. Hey, what about a catalog? Hey, what about reverse ETL? Let's yep. let's focus on maximizing the capabilities we have, right? Mm-hmm. And keep it as simple as possible in the near term and only adding features and functionality when we as a team agree, hey, we've run into our current ceiling from a functionality mm-hmm. standpoint. We're trying to get over here. Now we do need to add these these capabilities in into the into the sort of mix, right? Being as agile and iterative as possible, even with tool selection, uh, to me is is really paramount for organizations to find success because we go into a lot of organizations where they're like, oh yeah, we bought these 12 tools and none of them will get implemented. There's like, there's so many operational issues with buying that many technologies and trying to implement them all at the same time. I know Satish, you always, always advise every customer at Coalesce to focus on the low hanging fruit, get quick wins, get the value as fast as possible. I think both Call and Chris, the reason your businesses have been so successful is because you focus on the similar thing, you know, whether it's through the data concierge and doing that for the customer or actually going in house and saying, what are the, what are the quick wins we can deliver value on uh, leading edge IT? And then really focusing on automating that process, trying to get to that in an as accelerated fashion as possible, which is something that from our end, you know, I feel like similar to how you're describing the death by a thousand cuts with a ton of different tools and trying to implement them all at the same time. You've got this, you've got this uh, issue of people trying to do too much or too big of a project without just getting to value quickly and trying to do something that's going to that's going to get a quick win and build the trust between the consumers and the producers of data. And then from there, being able to focus on some of the more bigger action items as you scale and grow between that relationship of the business and the IT team versus the business versus the IT team. It's it's really easy, I think, as an engineer to lose sight of some of those lower-hanging fruit smaller, quicker wins and want to go focus on the big, big issue of that 12 month data project. But for 11 months, the consumers don't see anything. And so they're getting frustrated and they're like, where the hell is the stuff that we asked for? 
and drives them crazy. And then that's kind of turns into a bit of a snowball effect where you, you're working against yourself versus, you know, similar to how we operate at Coalesce, you know, we're, we're delivering new features and bug fixes, enhancements all the time. And then we have a major release, you know, every quarter or a couple quarters, but there's so many things that happen in between that time. Yeah. And that's kind of similar to how a data project should roll as well. You don't want to be just big bang every time. You want to be able to release certain things, you know, as you go that just continue to add value for everybody, whether that's your customer or your data consumer. So I think that's one other area that people lose sight of all the time. Yeah, I can see there's some message going about automation, automation, automation. Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, that, that's, yeah, the, the key thing is to yeah, make everything as turnkey as possible. But I, I go back to the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the friction um, reference I made earlier is automate where you get the value yeah, and then we'll gradually level up in different areas. Uh, I, I've seen too many times where someone goes and solves a problem over here, but they're pushing the problem over there. So look at the whole end-to-end -end process that you're trying to do. And until the data is accessible and being used by the consumer, you haven't actually got any value. You can build the most fastest pipeline in the world, the best, nice, neatest code as well. But until someone's actually using the data that it, it, it's it's uh, created, or it's produced, you have you haven't completed you haven't completed your task. So, yeah, always look at the whole, what's the end goal? And I think that goes back down to that business involvement. The business wants to get the ability to uh, make better decisions. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you don't satisfy that, that objective, you know, you, you're, you're, just, you're just bringing in source data for no reason at all and not modeling it. And just it, it becomes a, a liability, not an asset, because you've got to manage it, secure it. Um, pay for storage, all that. So, which isn't that much, but it, it, it's yeah. And unless unless you've got it for a reason, then why are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you also should be purchasing technologies in the appropriate order, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, I talked to Reverse ETL CEO uh, a month or two ago, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, our solution is only as good as the data that it's pulling from." And so it's like, okay, well then as you go through the process of your analytics journey, once you have the data in a nice clean format that's consumable with proper documentation, lineage, the data consumers are happy, then procure something that's gonna push that back into your CRM or Marketo versus trying to get, you know, reverse ETL tool, uh, an observability tool, data quality tool, all at the same time and trying to keep you know, six plates spinning, do it in the order that it actually matters to the business versus just going out and trying to get every technology under the sun and expecting it's all going to work at the push of a button. I think there's a lot, a lot more work that goes into it and you want to do it at the right times versus just doing it to do it. So. Yeah. yeah I speaking of, go ahead. I, just a, a somewhat of a tactical question, but uh, we see this a lot. Um, a lot of companies out there that are, you know, kind of still learning about DevOps and data ops and things like that. Yeah. So for those companies that don't have this, um, you know, this skill set or, or this practice, mm -hmm. what do we recommend? How do they ramp up? How do they build that muscle? What are the steps that they need to take to get that, uh, you know, uh, that process in place? 
I'm going to selfish plug. You buy one of our day drops assessments where you come in and we'll assess. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously two two approach. I mean, you either get the skills in in house and then and then you you you, uh, you focus on that, and that needs to have to, to quote unquote that business business uh, or, or CEO engagement saying we're, we're we're doing this. You know, I'm supporting it. Go and go and train my team up so we can actually do this. Um, and the other one is you, you, know, you get it as a service. You go Collins Concierge Service. I mean, I'm sure that they, they'll provide that day shops as part of it. Or you, you go for that taking your own team on the journey. And your, your internal team's going to have all that business knowledge. They're going to know how to request things. They're going to know how to navigate your own company. Having someone in there to help upskill them, take them on the journey, hold their hand while they're on there, and then let, let them go when, when they're, or take the stabilizers off. We're using analogies, Colin, like, a little bike and now, now they're on their own they can take the stay rise off and they can ride it right off into the sunset so yeah um it's it, it yeah you, you are, you've got a few options. you've got to train up or you, or you buy in i think there's a fine line to balance it's a great question to teach and i think it's a it's a it's a high dollar question right once we figure out how to get it exactly right for every organization but you know the the trade-off right of of First of all, what I will say is most organizations focus too much on the activation component of their data before focusing on the foundational pieces. So a lot of organizations that we come into uh, may have hired a data scientist or two. And those data engineers because, you know, our, our data scientist sits down at her desk on day one and goes, OK, great. Give me the data to, to do to do what I do best. Right. On and they, what, what are you talking about? You need to go assemble all that. And she goes, well, this isn't going to work out for the long term. Right. So there's there's that sort of core requisite. The other piece is when you when you look at those Gartner statistics. Right. So we, we talked already about 87 percent failure rates and things like that. The other sort of uh, sneaky statistic that I think matters maybe more is mm-hmm. when organizations are successful with implementing a data program. Over 80% of their internal team's time is spent on what we call undifferentiated heavy lifting. That mm-hmm. is tasks and, and processes that need to occur on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that add no direct value to our key business questions or right. business impact in general. So I think there's a, there's, a, there's a line for organizations to figure out how to balance between how do we take all of our people along on this journey, because that's mm-hmm. great to get people up to speed on how to think in a data-driven fashion and how to make your business um, more, you know, um, uh, you know, reliable from a data yeah. perspective. But there's also that notion of, okay, if out of all the things we could do, mm-hmm be doing all of it so so that to me is uh is a sort of key distinction and it's different for everyone right that line moves slightly smaller organizations are different from large enterprise for example so um that that to me is is uh important and it goes back to what mandla was saying around automation 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 Mm -hmm. yes but right like let's focus on taking the smallest bite of of the elephant as possible and getting a yeah. quick win as opposed to what you called out earlier Armand, around you know a 12 to 18 month value thesis my sort of rule yeah. of thumb is if you haven't delivered some bit of value within the first 3 months but definitely 6 months you're yeah. behind and it can be small but if it's 
quality, it's reliable, yeah. and it's trustworthy from a governance perspective, that's a win, and your team can feed off of that, and it's going to cause a lot of light bulbs to go off in terms of, you know, what could we be doing next with these capabilities? To- totally. I, it's uh, super interesting to talk about it in the in the span of how quickly you can get these wins. It's one of the reasons we're so passionate about our mission at Coalesce, which is being able to automate as much of the transformation processes as possible. Like, I think a big reason why a lot of these projects fail is because that's such a manual, time-consuming, tedious yeah. overhead that you were talking about earlier, about 80% of the work just being almost unnecessary, things that could be automated for their users, but aren't, and you know, subjected to some type of hand coding or manual processes that aren't efficient. And so, you know, sure, if you have a 12-month project and 85% of them fail, it would be so much better to be able to get to that failure within two months, iterate, and then get to something that is successful within four or five months where the business is actually happy. And compressing those timelines is what we're really focused on at Coalesce. Not necessarily as much from the, the workflow perspective. Obviously, Coalesce is a data ops tool and lends into data ops best practices, but we're passionate about compressing timelines so people can actually get to value faster compared to any other alternative, which seems to be one of the biggest culprits to why projects fail in the first place. It's just, it takes so much freaking time to get through some of these bigger areas. And so I'm seeing some questions in the, from the audience right now. It's a little bit later than this was asked, but I, I think it's so in line with what we've been discussing which is how do you balance getting the buy-in and alignment with getting something out quickly and building the trust? What is your approach to doing that? Like, I feel like you both are masters. At it. So, so it, it's, um, it, I'm going to do a consultant. It depends, but it's, um, it, it, there's, there's, um, it, 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 yeah, it, it is that balancing act and understanding, um, where, where, where they are on their journey or their maturity, but, but also you, you don't want to go down to that tactical route because you can never get it back. So um, knowing the direction you're going to and then, okay, right, technical debt, I always like to go back to technical debt. Don't, don't make sure that you build enough um, or factor in the fact you need to go back and redo things you've already done. Otherwise, you're just, you're just diverging away from where you need to go and you're going to add friction later because... Um, yeah, you, you, ha- you haven't you haven't gone um, you haven't done anything in the correct way, and uh, projects hate paying for technical debt. And uh, I, I think I'm talking about having like maybe a, I'm doing a book with Matt Howsley at the moment about business value and monetization, and it, nice. it's all about how how you can actually fund these projects, and um, it, it it's it's tough to do that. And I think if you're if you're able to evidence that okay, because because we've gone and done this activity, we've saved this amount of Time value help funders again. So it, I think you kind of use like the low hanging fruit. You need to find something that goes and gets that business value, that goes and gets you that budget to come to come back to, 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 to fuel that innovation, fuel any technical debt, and then keep keep you providing a service that all the teams use. I think another problem I see out there is no one wants to pay for foundational stuff. Right? And normally it's the first project that comes along, and you know, why is it costing so much? It's all we've got to build all these things. But the second, third, or fourth project, which could be a different department, benefits from it. So going back to that, that community thing I, I talked about, the, the more that you're, you're all working together, finance, customer, 
um, supply chain, all, all those departments know that, oh, can I, you know, am I going to benefit from, from that, that framework you built? Yeah, you are. Let's yeah, club together, put, put, in, put in that, that tax or whatever it is on your, on your, your, uh, your foundations that, you know, that, that fuel, that, fuel that, um, that funding that builds us a capability that everyone goes and uses. Um, it's, yeah, again, the community, start with the community is, is one of the critical things, I think. Colin, yeah. I, I'm super curious to hear how you approach it, given you got the data concierge business at North Labs. You're probably leaning into this, into those conversations with your customers right from the get-go. How yeah. does that, how does that typically start or what's your, what's your angle? What's your pitch? How do you build that, that, how do you get that alignment quickly uh, and build that trust? Like what is, what are, what are the, some of the key things you focus on or the way you approach it? Yeah, a, a couple of things. And, and, you know, for the record, the, the majority of the work that we do at North Labs is for small and mid-market organizations who are considered greenfield. So they're either yeah. getting started on this for the first time or they've, they've tried it on their own previously and have failed in some capacity. Right. Um, right. And so for, for us, it's about um, really setting what we define as a, as a North Star or a cornerstone use case, right? So getting alignment from the executive team in, in terms of why are we here and why do we care about what we're doing? Those are very simple questions to ask that a lot of people don't take the time to ask, right? right? Why do we as the executive team want to develop these capabilities and what will it do for the business? That's, that's really important. The second piece is at North Labs, we're a little different in that we build almost every customer's environment in the exact same way every time. Because in my experience, whether you're a manufacturing organization, a retail organization, or a healthcare organization, 80% of your data environment looks, if you stand across the street and, and squint, 80% of, of every organization's data environment looks the same. It's that last 20% where your last mile analytics come in and your where your use case is pointed, right? But that 80% that's driving you know, ingestion and transformation and scheduling and orchestration, those things are repeatable. And so for right. us, we, we actually use a, a, an automation engine because we're building things the same way every time. When we get started on the foundational component for a customer, we spend the majority of the time on those key business questions, those cornerstone use cases, because when we press go, we can actually automate the standing up of that customer's environment with Snowflake, with CoLS, with AWS, with Kabula, et cetera, via API integration and things like that. So we can have the environment stood up in the matter of a day as opposed right. to, you know, six or eight weeks or, or sometimes longer, depending on the, on, the, on the services provider. So we get to start down the road of, of proving that measurable business impact right away. And yep. again, right, this notion of how do you balance getting the buy-in and then to Philip's question, how does the conversation go when you inform a leadership team that they need to slow down? Hopefully your, your work around developing that cornerstone use case has been such that you've looked several of the executives in the face and said, all of this work that you need to do manually in Excel once a week, that's taking 20 hours a week of your time, will now be automated of higher quality and well-governed across your team. Hopefully that becomes a hell yeah, right? In terms of, in terms of getting that, that buy-in. And by the way, if they're already doing that work manually, say in Excel, you essentially are given a spec. Talk about building a home, 
right? Yeah. If they're if you're coding out these formulas in in Excel, you have the the, the cheat sheet to short circuit that that data ops workflow to say if I can make the data look like this in an automated fashion, we've produced high quality, trustworthy data, and we can match the two together and 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 keep track of that over time. Perhaps even having that executive run that Excel workload for the next couple of weeks to ensure that what we're doing stays on trend. Uh, but that's a great way to start is to look for those areas to not try and push the envelope from an innovation perspective. But if you can find a way to, to free up 20 hours a week of your executive team's time, that's a massive win, not just from a salary, you know, cost savings perspective, but from an opportunity cost perspective, that's really cherished within the executive suite. Yeah, you don't, don't don't remove a hundred percent of this of the exec's work because otherwise they won't have a job and they won't be happy. Leave a little bit to do still. That, that would be pretty impressive if uh, the data team could just eliminate the exec's job. Yeah, we're a ways uh, out. <laughs> I should I should watch out, right, Satish? Um. We only got a couple minutes left. I, I really love what you're talking about, Colin, around having that 80% rule when it comes to the development pipeline frameworks. I feel like, you know, one other pitfall I would say about about data ops or just in general data teams is just the lack of knowledge of traditional data warehousing concepts and like why, Colin, you're able to just implement something that is streamlined and repeatable over and over again. It's crazy to me to walk into some of the smaller companies or less mature analytics operations. And they're not even familiar with like what a star schema is, for example, mm -hmm. and, right. and like really going through the process of making sure that you're adhering to the best practices of data warehousing in general, instead of getting too caught up with the data ops processes. Cause that's all framework driven for actual deployment, not necessarily, not necessarily development. And so yes. making sure that you go step by step and focus on all these items is really, really important to be successful. If you don't have, if you don't have the basics done, right. I, I played baseball for a long time growing up and it's always back to fundamentals in golf. It's always back to fundamentals. If your, if your roles and account structure inside of your data warehouse aren't, aren't set up correctly, if you don't have a solid governance structure, if you don't know yeah. how to optimize cost with your warehouses with something as simple to do so like Snowflake and you can't keep eyes on that, you're you're in a position where there's plenty of work to do there before you begin implementing an operational framework around data ops. Because to Chris's earlier point, the more automation you add, uh, the more potential there is for uh, pitfalls, right? Because garbage in becomes garbage out magnified. And that that's really what, what gets a lot of uh, customers stuck. Cool. We're right at time. I'm so glad to have you both on the Coffee with Coalesce. Gentlemen, Chris Tapp, Colin Graves, uh, great audience questions today. Such a blast. As you saw, people from all over the world tune into this. Uh, looking forward to the next one. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for hopping on. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Satish. We'll let everybody get back to their day or evening, depending on where you're at. And I'm off the top. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, everyone. It's been great. Cheers.